the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Ask 10 people and you get 10 different answers. Who is our God? We'll take a look at who God says he is next on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Join us. Is our God. And you know, as I mentioned at the beginning of the program, you ask 10 people, you'll get 10 different answers. Ask 10 different denominations, and you'll even get 10 different answers. We always tend to emphasize one of God's characteristics over another, depending on how we were raised as believers. But you see, God doesn't cherry pick who he says he is. He lays it all out for us in his word. And that's what we're looking at here today on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. So join us. Who is our God? We have some answers. Here's Pastor Phil Howard with today's broadcast of Truth For Today. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful, trustworthy, and merciful. So your forgiveness as a sinning child of God is based upon his righteous character. He's put his righteousness at stake on forgiving you. His faithfulness, you can rely on him to do it because he's given you this promise. And it is right up for God to forgive you any sin you confess. It's right. He's bound by his own character to forgive you Because his righteous character demanded a right sacrifice for the sin you confessed. And his son's death makes it right for God to justify you and to forgive you just on the basis of confession. Nothing else needs to be done because God has rightly dealt with that sin. I mean, I just say it just for rehearsal. How many of your sins were nailed to the cross. All? You mean even the ones after you get saved? Okay. Now, how many of you thought they were all forgiven up to the day you took Christ as Savior? Oh, yeah. I backslid because I didn't know one nine. I sinned a few times after I got saved. Then hear this famous line, I'm not going to be a hypocrite. Yeah, okay, what do you mean? Well, I've sinned, and I just professed faith in Christ. Yeah? Well, I've sinned three times since I accepted him. Ooh, and the way I saw it, the ledger started all over. God had a ledger for all the sins before you got saved. Now he started keeping one on you after you got saved, and this ledger would make you forfeit your salvation. And I was accumulating them quicker than I was getting rid of them. Because I didn't know the divine eraser. The divine eraser is, if I'll name it, 
and really call it sin to God and claim the merits of Christ. I confess I sin, Lord, and on the basis of Christ, you are just and you are faithful to forgive me. You know what? Nobody made God make this promise to you. He made it of his own volition. Who can make you make this promise? Now, confess your sin. And I find that's the hardest part with us sinners. It's not getting God to forgive it. It's getting us to admit it. But it seems practically unbelievable that I could just confess a sin and God wipes it off the slate. But he said, my righteous character is at stake. I'll do that for you. Well, uh, goodness. Uh, God always desires and maintains his own happiness and that of others. He is the giver of all true beneficial kindness. Mark ten eighteen, they called him good. And look at that. And he asked them why they call him good. I've not had that problem. Notice that ten eighteen. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now what he's saying is people were rejecting the fact he was God. So he says, why are you calling me good if you don't think I'm God? Now good and goodness in God is he desires to benefit all of his creation. All the benefits we derive come from that aspect of his character we call goodness. God loves to be good. You remember Matthew, I believe it's Matthew uh, at the end of five. He says, God sends rain to the just and the unjust. He gives seasons to the just and the unjust. You read Psalm 73, the wicked are prospering and doing good. You say, how can that be? Because God is even good to men and women that don't acknowledge him, that don't know him. And part of their eternal damnation will be they rejected a good God. He's good. And I think out of that comes other things he does for us. He's truth. We've got to keep going here. He's truth. Uh, God is perfectly reliable in all that he says and in all that he does. He sees things as they really are. He's the truth. Uh, reality may be another handle for you. But out of truth comes this idea of his faithful word. It, it is the idea of reliability. Whatever God says is reliable because he's the truth. He knows all there is. Uh, preachers change, you change. Uh, I love a line that uh, John MacArthur said one time. Somebody said, do you still hold to this view? I was in a seminar with him and said, do you still hold to this view? And you wrote it. You said it two years ago. And he said, I'm not bound by anything I said two years ago. I get more information. As I get more insight, I feel free to update my view. Because we don't know everything at one point of time. We don't have all the data. And so you'll say, boy, I don't believe like I used to in that area. And we talk about experience. And 
additional information. But with God, he's totally reliable because he knows everything there is to know. And when he says something, it's reliable, will never have to be updated. You can count on it. You know, just think if you were practicing medicine with a, a 1750 medical book. I mean, which one of our presidents died from bloodletting? You know, I think it's one of our early presidents that the belief was that the disease, get it out of the bloodstream, so you bloodlet. You just take away blood. Anybody know which one it was? George Washington. Okay, he was a very early president. <laughs> How is that correct? And uh, early. And uh, uh, bled him to death. Well, but the Bible's not that way. If you want the best edition of God's word, get the original one. Because he's never had to change his opinion about anything. So you can rely. Truth is the same. And that's in God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus Christ is that. And truth, eternal truth. I mean, technology comes and goes. And so much cultural change from the time of the Bible. But you know what? When you read this Bible, human beings haven't changed. God hasn't changed. Uh, all that really is pertinent to life and godliness has not changed. And in your God, you've got the truth. It won't change with the stock market. It won't change with a new encyclopedia. It will be true forever, forever. When we're in heaven, there won't be one truth in the Bible that will be contradicted in eternity. It would just keep a continual stream of divine truth. That's reliability. Freedom. God is free. God is free to express who he is apart from any inner compulsion, necessity, or outward constraint. And you can maybe look at those passages. Romans says no one's been his counselor. No one's had to tell him how to do it. Uh, he says in Ephesians, he made this purpose according to the good pleasure of his will. Uh, it's the idea that God's not operating. He doesn't have to do anything he does. He doesn't have a gun at his head. He, he's free in all of his acts. He's free to let the wicked live. He's free to save who he wants to save. He's free to do whatever. No one dictates terms to God. There's no, I have to do it. I had to create this way. He's, a, the, he's never been enslaved to anything. Fear, anxiety, threats, whatever. God is a free, free God. No have-to compulsions. He does it to suit his pleasure. Did you know that everything exists for the pleasure of God? I, I just want to say something here. I, I'm going to do a message, if I can work it out, during this series. Uh, that Here's something that disturbs me about people and their relation to God. It goes like this. Uh, one thing, a denomination was surveyed, and they surveyed that 80% of those who had responded to receive Christ were nowhere to be found three months after they raised their hand. 80%. I'm quoting Ray Comfort. That comes from Ray Comfort. 
his sermon, Hell's Best Kept Secret. That's where I got that. Uh, so that, raise my hand, I want Christ. Okay. Three months later, where are they? Not in church. No longer to be seen. But we counted them. They got saved. Okay. But they just never show up in the family from then on. Uh, a lot of people are disappointed with God. And I'll tell you why. Here's the thing. Let's do salvation. And follow with me, church. Sometimes we present Christ this way. Come to Christ and he'll bless your marriage. Come to Christ and you'll get life abundantly. Come to Christ and maybe you'll get some other benefit. Or Come to Christ. And it's kind of like uh, it's life enhancement. Come to him and you'll do better with your kids and better in your marriage and, and better in your business and, and better. And come to him and he'll enhance your life. Guess what happens? People come and the wife leaves them. They come and they get sick. They come and they lose their job. If they're New Testament converts, they come and their family puts them out of the family because they followed Christ. If they're married to an unbeliever mate, according to 1 Corinthians 7, the unbeliever walks. I don't want to be married to a believer. Guess what the biblical approach to God was? It was this way. Romans 1 through 3. You're guilty before God. He's righteous to judge you. You're righteous to perish. Because you don't love God, you don't know God, you've broken all of his commandments, you're not even worthy of God. You should be judged. You're condemned already because you've not believed in the name of his son. Your heart, you're unloving towards people. You're warped in your personality. Sin has been in you ever since you were conceived. You're warped from the womb, according to Psalms. Blood guiltiness is in you. Your mouth is full of venom. You're full of unthankfulness. You're judgmental. You're critical. You're sexually perverted, maybe. You're sexually immoral. You're full of pride, unrighteousness. Romans chapter 1, he only lists 31 things. I only came up with about 10. Why do I want something so stinking? Why does God want to waste any time on us anyway? Oh, I see you, you're going to say, hellfire brimstone, say it, doesn't matter. I'm tired of being stigmatized that way, not telling you the truth. Hear it, when man is seen in Romans 1 through 3, he's seen as being guilty, as a lawbreaker before God. And Romans 3.20 says, the law was given that every mouth might be shut and the world become guilty before God. Now the gospel steps in. Romans 3.21, but apart from the law and the prophets, God has made a way that you can be right with him. He has offered God the Son to die in your place, and he's offered you one thing, just put faith in Christ, and he will deliver you from your just penalty. Now, when I come to God on those terms, I want to be pardoned. I want to be forgiven for the sins I've committed, the outrage God could say, would you leave if it cost you your, your family? Anything. Would it be worth it if you didn't get a good job? 
This is not the terms, Lord. I need to be forgiven and given eternal life. Would you come if uh, you lost all of your property and your possessions like Hebrews 11 did and the Jewish Christians did? Yes, I need a Messiah. I need a Savior. I'm not here to bargain with you that you've got to bless me if you'll just forgive me. I'm the sinner. I'm the one that's condemned. I'm guilty as charged. I'm not coming for life enhancement. I'm coming for you to cancel the death penalty. I stand condemned. I need a Savior. I quite frankly am nauseated at much gospel that's presented because it's afraid to call men and women sinners. There was a book that was printed years ago by a very popular TV spokesman, and I've got a copy called Self-Esteem, the New Gospel. And in the book, he says, I never call men sinners. I never use the word sin. The new gospel is self-esteem. I want to tell you there's only one gospel that saves. It's not new and it's not old. It's God's gospel. You're condemned and in need of a Savior. And the moment you quit blaming God that he doesn't meet up, you don't meet up. You and I don't meet up. We're sinners. Our thoughts are against him. We don't love God nor people. We are not nice people until the regenerating work of God changes us and gives us a new disposition and a new nature. And we offer to our people, would you like to be pardoned of your crimes, of your sins from a child, if you're aware of it, to an adult? You're proud and arrogant. A sinner is a terrible person at the, in the sight of God insofar as their behavior. But God put enough worth on you that he would give up his son. It's astounding. Who would die for those sinning against you? You know what? I didn't love God before I got saved, and neither did you. We didn't have the ability. We weren't lovely. We weren't lovely. Now, that gospel, what I just told you, offends people today. But you know what? If you come to Christ on those terms, we'll know where you are three months from now. You'll get baptized. You'll be in the church, and you'll say, I'm clinging to the fact I've been forgiven. I'm forgiven. I, I, I was in a testimony service, and a guy said, everything in my life was going great till I became a Christian. That's what he said. He said, man, I, I've had bad health. I've had three automobile accidents. I've had this and that, but I'm going to heaven. That's the New Testament church. Hey, everything wasn't happy-go-lucky, and we started naming, naming it and claiming it. I want to tell you, they suffered for this commitment. I came to Jesus, and everybody's opposing this, this approaching Christ. Let me tell you, one Christ in forgiveness is worth 10 million worlds like we know. Just to get Christ, just to know him. What price? Would it be worth to you just to know it? That's, see, we, we got to get back where he's in charge. God's not on trial. If you don't want him, too bad. There's millions that do. He's doing fine without us. I'm talking for him now. I sound arrogant. I'm telling you, God is tired of us apologizing for him. If you don't like the way he runs things, find yourself another God. 
What God wants to do is to crush our pride and bring us in humility and say, oh, the arrogance that I should argue with you. The arrogance that I should question a God that would give his son. The arrogance of me being the sinner telling the potter what he can do with the clay. I'm the clay. You will do whatsoever brings you good pleasure. I'm just so glad God chose to make me a vessel of honor and not a vessel fit for wrath. It could have gone either way. I didn't decide, ultimately. He put his hands around your life, made the difference. You see, God's in charge, saints. That gives me hope. I'd hate to think we are. I need someone bigger than us. And I just have to say when I get animated, I'm not mad at anybody. I just want you to get the force of it. You know, you, that one preacher said, he's not anointed, he's just angry. And I, I, but I just want you to get it. I just that God's gospel, the gospel, it condemns man before it saves. We've got a lot of nice people going to give Jesus a try. Get out of here. God didn't say you're nice. He said you're a sinner. And until the Spirit convinces you of that, you won't come on the right terms. You'll come for life enhancement. Well, I've accepted Jesus because it will enrich our family life. Ah, you ought to talk to a lot of folks in this church. They accepted Christ and their kids went wild. They accepted Christ too late in life. Talked to a guy the other day. He said, my kids are doing all the things I did before I got saved, but we got saved too late. They're now in the teen years and we're reaping the whirlwind. Are you glad you got saved? It's all I got. It's all I got. But your kid's going wild. Can't help it. I was going wild too until I met Christ. It hasn't changed him yet, but it's changed me. The nature of God is the sum total of his essence and his actions. When you talk about the nature, it's his activity plus his substance. And both of those things, it makes what we call the nature of someone. You are the sum total of what you can do and what composes you. So God is composed of essence, and he acts a certain way. Four things about this nature. He's immutable. God's unchangeable in his character, attributes, and essence. He's just, he never has to change. He's never wrong. So he's immutable. He's sovereign. God is able to express his divine nature without fear or favor. He is the supreme ruler of the universe. I'll develop these later, but we'll just kind of get through that he's sovereign. That, that is, he's the king. He, he's the one in charge. And no matter who's in charge of anything, somebody doesn't like the way they do things. But he's sovereign nonetheless. Uh, what God's bringing us all to do is to bow before his sovereignty and say, Lord, don't you find out in life, the longer you know him, you keep finding out you've known all along what needed to be done. You've done what was right. You were sovereign to do it, but you come in your experience to say, what I doubted back here, what I questioned back here. And I said, God, do you know what you're doing? You find out the sovereign, loving despot of the universe did what was for our good. He's just, he's benevolent. Uh, infinity. 
Uh, God has no limits or bounds. That's part of his immensity, his power. Whether you talk about his attributes of uh, omniscience, all power, there's just no limit to it. We can't measure it. It's, it's beyond measuring. Finally, eternity. God is an eternal being that's had no beginning and will never have any ending. This is just a little sketch here, the eternal one. And this is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. As we conclude our time together today, we would invite you to contact us if you have questions, comments about the broadcast. Maybe you have a question about your own walk and relationship with the Lord or a prayer request. We'd love to hear from you. Please get in touch with us today. Now, we have a couple of ways to do so. The easiest might be simply visiting our website, truthfortodayradio.org. You can drop us an email. We have other means of contact that you'll find there at truthfortodayradio.org. We also have a lot of resource materials available for your growth and relationship with Christ. Our design and desire is to see that you grow in Christ, grow according to his knowledge and grace. Any way we can help, well, that's why we're here. So stop by truthfortodayradio.org or simply give us a call. 855-833-9864. Again, you can reach us at 855-833-9864. Please bear in mind as you contact us that this is a listener-supported ministry. As you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this radio station. Prayerfully consider how you might get involved in the ministry of Truth For Today, won't you? 855-833-9864 or write to us. Our address is 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California. The zip code is 94547. And that website, once again, truthfortodayradio.org. It is a pleasure spending time with you in God's Word. We trust we'll see you next time we get together for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. 